0: Section 36 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Kate McKenzie A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4 By François Guizot, Translated by Robert Black Chapter 33 Charles the IX and the Religious Wars, 1560-1574 to Part 2 we confine the enumeration to the reign of charles the ninth and in it we place only such massacres and murders as were not the results of any legal proceeding we say nothing of judicial sentences and executions however outrageous and iniquitous they may have been the first fact which presents itself is a singular one admiral de coligny's eldest brother audet de chatillon was a catholic bishop of beauvais and a cardinal in 1550 he had gone to rome and had cooperated in the election of pope julius iii in 1554 he had published some constitution Synodales, synodal regulations to remedy certain abuses which had crept into his diocese and in 1561 he proposed to make in the celebration of the lord's supper some modifications which smacked it is said of the innovations of geneva The populace of Beauvais were so enraged at this that they rose up against him, massacred a schoolmaster whom he tried to protect, and would have massacred the bishop himself if troops sent from Paris had not come to his assistance. In the same year, 1561, the Protestants had a custom of meeting at Paris for their religious exercises in a house called the Patriarch's House, very near the church of Saint-Médard. On the 27th of December, Whilst the reformed minister was preaching, the Catholics had all the bells of Saint-Médard rung in full peal. The minister sent two of his congregation to beg the incumbent to have the bell ringing stopped for a short time. The mob threw themselves upon the two messengers. One was killed, and the other, after making a stout defence, returned badly wounded to the patriarch's house and fell dead at the preacher's feet. The provost of tradesmen was for having the bell stopped. The riot became violent, the house of the reformers was stormed, and the provost's archers had great difficulty in putting a stop to the fight. More than a hundred persons, it is said, were killed or wounded. In 1562, in the month of February, whilst the Guise were travelling in Germany with the object of concluding in the interests of policy, Alliances with some German Lutheran princes, disturbances broke out at Cahors, Amiens, Sens, and Tours between the Protestants and the Catholics. Which of the two began them? It would be difficult to determine. The passions that lead to insult, attack, defence, and vengeance, were mutually felt and equally violent on both sides. Montluc was sent to Guienne by the Queen Mother to restore order there, but. Nearly everywhere he laid the blame on the Protestants. His memoirs prove that he harried them without any form of justice. At Sauveterre, says he, I caught five or six, all of whom I had hanged without expense of paper or ink, and without giving them a hearing, for those gentry are regular Chrysostoms. Parle d'or. I was informed that at Gironde there were sixty or eighty Huguenots belonging to them of La réole who had retreated thither, the which were all taken, and I had them hanged to the pillars of the market place without further ceremony. One hanged has more effect than a hundred slain. When Montluc took Montségur, the massacre lasted for ten hours or more, says he, because search was made for them in the houses. The dead were counted, and found to be more than seven hundred. Almost at the very time at which Montluc, who had been sent to Guienne to restore order there between the Catholics and the Protestants, was treating the latter with this shocking severity. An incident, more serious because of the rank of the persons concerned, took place at Vassy, a small town in Champagne, near which the Duke of Guise passed on returning from Germany. Hearing as he went the sound of bells, he asked what it meant. "'It is the church of the Huguenots of Vassy," was the answer. "'Are there many of them?' asked the duke he was told that there were and that they were increasing more and more then says the chronicler he began to mutter and to put himself in a white heat gnawing his beard as he was wont to do when he was enraged or had a mind to take vengeance did he turn aside out of his way with his following to pass right through vassy or did he confine himself to sending some of his people to bring him an account of what was happening there When a fact which was at the outset insignificant has become a great event, it is hardly possible to arrive at any certain knowledge of the truth as to the small details of its origin. Whatever may have been the case in the first instance, a quarrel and, before long, a struggle, began between the preacher's congregation and the prince's following. Being informed of the matter whilst he was at table, the Duke of Guise rose up, went to the spot, found the combatants very warmly at work, and himself received several blows from stones and when the fight was put a stop to forty-nine persons had been killed in it nearly all on the protestant side more than two hundred others it is said came out of it severely wounded and whether victors or vanquished all were equally irritated the protestants complained vehemently and Conde offered in their name fifty thousand men to resent this attack but his brother the king of navarre on the contrary received with a very bad grace the pleading of theodore de Bez. it is true that the church of god should endure blows and not inflict them said de baize but remember i pray you that it is an anvil which has used up a great many hammers the massacre of vassy the name which has remained affixed to it in history rapidly became contagious from 1562 to 1572 in Languedoc, in provence in dauphiny in poitou in orleans in normandy even and in picardy at toulouse at gaillac at fréjoux at troyes at saun at amiens at rouen and in many other towns spontaneous and disorderly outbreaks between religiously opposed portions of the populace took place suddenly were repeated and spread, sometimes with the connivance of the local authorities, judicial or administrative, but more often through the mere brutal explosion of the people's passions. It is distasteful to us to drag numerous examples from oblivion, but we will cite just two faithful representations of those sad incidents, and attested by authentic documents. The little town of Gaillac was almost entirely Catholic. The Protestants, less numerous, had met the day after Pentecost, May eighteenth, fifteen sixty two, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The inhabitants in the quarter of the Chateau de l'Orme, who are all artisans or vine dressers, says the chronicler, rush to arms, hurry along with them all the Catholics of the town, invest the place of assembly, and take prisoners all who were present after this capture they separate some remain in the meeting-house on guard over the prisoners the rest go into dwellings to work their will upon those of the religion who had remained there then they take the prisoners to the number of sixty or eighty into a gallery of the abbey of st michael situated on a steep rock at the base of which flows the river tarn and there a field labourer named cabral having donned the robe and cape of the judge's deputy whom he had slain with his own hand pronounces judgment and sentences all the prisoners to be thrown from the gallery into the river telling them to go and eat fish as they had not chosen to fast during lent which was done forthwith divers boatmen who were on the river dispatched with their oars those who tried to save themselves by swimming at trailles in champagne during the early part of august fifteen seventy two the majority of the protestants of the town who were returning from Ais-le-Mont, where they had a meeting-house and a pastor under authorization from the king, were assailed in the neighborhood of Concelles by the excited populace. A certain number of individuals, accompanying a mother carrying a child which had just received baptism, were pursued with showers of stones. Several were wounded, and the child was killed in its mother's arms. This affair did not give rise to any prosecution. It is no use to think about it any longer, said the delegate of the bailiff and of the mayor of Troy in a letter from Paris on the 27th of August. The St. Bartholomew had just taken place on the 24th of August. Where they happened to be the stronger, and where they had either vengeance to satisfy or measures of security to take, the Protestants were not more patient or more humane than the Catholics. At Nîmes, in 1567, they projected and carried out, in the town and the neighbouring country, a massacre, in which a hundred and ninety-two catholics perished and several churches and religious houses were damaged or completely destroyed this massacre perpetrated on st michael's day was called the Michelade. the barbarities committed against the catholics in dauphiny and in provence by francis de beaumont baron of adres have remained as historical as the massacre of vassy and he justified them on the same grounds as montluc had given for his in guienne Nobody commits cruelty in repaying it, said he. The first are called cruelties, the second, justice. The only way to stop the enemy's barbarities is to meet them with retaliation. Though experience ought to have shown them their mistake, both Adre and Montluc persisted in it. A case, however, is mentioned in which Adre was constrained to be merciful. After the capture of Montbrison, He had sentenced all the prisoners to throw themselves down, with their hands tied behind them from the top of the citadel. One of them made two attempts, and thought better of it. "'Come, twice is enough to take your soundings,' shouted the baron who was looking on. "'I'll give you four times to do it in,' rejoined the soldier, and this good saying saved his life. The weak and undecided government of Catherine de' Medici tried several times but in vain to prevent or repress these savage explosions of passion and strife amongst the people the sterling moderation of Chancellor de l'hôpital was scarcely more successful than the hypocritical and double-faced attentions paid by catherine de medici to both the catholic and the protestant leaders the great maladies and the great errors of nations require remedies more heroic than the adroitness of a woman the wisdom of a functionary, or the hopes of a philosopher. It was formal and open civil war between the two Communions and the two parties that, with honest and patriotic desire, L'Hôpital and even Catherine were anxious to avoid. From 1561 to 1572, there were in France 18 or 20 massacres of Protestants, four or five of Catholics, and 30 or 40 single murders ...sufficiently important to have been kept in remembrance by history, and during that space of time, formal civil war, religious and partisan, broke out, stopped, and recommenced in four campaigns, signalized each of them by great battles, and four times terminated by impotent or deceptive treaties of peace, which, on the 24th of August, 1572, ended, for their sole result, in the greatest massacre of French history the saint bartholomew the first religious war under charles the ninth appeared on the point of breaking out in april fifteen sixty one some days after that the duke of guise returning from the massacre of vassy had entered paris on the sixteenth of march in triumph the queen-mother in dismay carried off the king to Melun at first and then to fontainebleau whilst the prince of conde having returned to meaux summoned to his side his relatives his friends and all the leaders of the reformers and wrote to coligny that caesar had not only crossed the rubicon but was already at rome and that his banners were beginning to wave all over the neighbouring country for some days catherine and l'hôpital tried to remain out of paris with the young king whom Guise, the constable de montmorency and the king of navarre the former being members and the latter an ally of the triumvirate went to demand back from them they were obliged to submit to the pressure brought to bear upon them the constable was the first to enter paris and went on the second of april and burned down the two places of worship which by virtue of the decree of january the seventeenth fifteen sixty-one had been granted to the protestants next day the king of navarre and the duke of guise in their turn entered the city in company with charles the ninth and catherine A council was assembled at the Louvre to deliberate as to the declaration of war, which was deferred. Whilst the king was on his way back to Paris, Conde hurried off to take up his quarters at Orléans, where the colony went promptly to join him. They signed, with the gentlemen who came to them from all parts, a compact of association for the honour of God, for the liberty of the king, his brothers and the queen-mother, and for the maintenance of decrees and Conde, in writing to the Protestant princes of Germany to explain to them his conduct, took the title of Protector of the House and Crown of France. Negotiations still went on for nearly three months. The chiefs of the two parties attempted to offer one another generous and pacific solutions. They even had two interviews, but Catherine was induced by the Catholic Triumvirate to expressly declare that she would not allow in France more than one single form of worship. Conde and his friends said that they could not lay down their arms until the Triumvirate was overthrown, and the execution of decrees granting them liberty of worship in certain places and to a certain extent had been secured to them. Neither party liked to acknowledge itself beaten in this way without having struck a blow, and, in the early part of July, 1562, The first religious war began. We do not intend to dwell upon any but its leading facts, facts which at the moment when they were accomplished might have been regarded as decisive in respect of the future. In this campaign there were two, the Battle of Dreux on the 19th of December 1562, and the murder of the Duke of Guise by Poultreau on the 18th of February 1563. The two armies met in the plain of Dreux with pretty nearly equal forces, the royal army being superior in artillery and the Protestant in cavalry. When they had arrived in front of one another, the Triumvirs sent to ask the Queen Mother's authority to give battle. I am astounded, said Catherine to her favourite adviser, Michael de Castelnau, that the constable, the Duke of Guise and Saint-André, being good, prudent and experienced captains, "'should send to ask counsel of a woman and a child, "'both full of sorrow at seeing things in such extremity "'as to be reduced to the risk of a battle "'between fellow-countrymen. "'Hereupon,' says Castelnau, "'in came the king's nurse, who was a Huguenot, "'and the queen, at the same time that she took me to see the king, "'who was still in bed, said to me with great agitation and jeeringly, "'We had better ask the king's nurse whether to give battle or not. "'What think you?' Then the nurse, as she followed the queen into the king's chamber according to her custom, said several times that, as the Huguenots would not listen to reason, she would say, give battle. Whereupon there was at the Privy Council much discourse about the good and the evil that might result therefrom, but the resolution arrived at was, that they who had arms in their hands ought not to ask advice or orders from the court, and I was dispatched on the spot to tell them from the king and the queen that, as good and prudent captains, they were to do what they considered most proper. Next day, at ten in the morning, the armies met. Then every one, says Lanoue, one of the bravest amongst the reformers' leaders, steadied himself, reflecting that the men he saw coming towards him were not Spaniards, or English, or Italians, but Frenchmen, that is, the bravest of the brave amongst whom there were some who were his own comrades, relatives and friends, and that within an hour they would have to be killing one another, which created some sort of horror of the fact, without, however, diminution of courage. One thing worthy of being noted, continues Lanua, is the long duration of the fight, it being generally seen in battles that all is lost or won within a single hour, whereas this began about 1pm, and there was no issue until after 5 of a surety there was marvellous animosity on both sides whereof sufficient testimony is to be found in the number of dead which exceeded seven thousand as many persons say the majority whereof were killed in the fight rather than the pursuit another incident was the capture of the two chiefs of the armies a thing which rarely happens because generally they do not fight until the last moment and in extremity and often a battle is as good as won "'before they come to the point. "'But in this case, they did not put it off so long, "'for, at the very first, each was minded to set his men an example "'of not sparing themselves. "'The constable de Montmorency was the first taken and seriously wounded, "'having always received wounds in seven battles at which he was present, "'which shows the boldness that was in him. "'The prince of Conde was taken at the end, also wounded.' As both of them had good seconds, it made them the less fearful of danger to their own persons, for the constable had Monsieur de Guise, and the Prince of Conde, Admiral de Coligny, who showed equally well to the front in the melee. Finally, I wish to bring forward another matter, which will be supernumerary, because it happened after the battle, and, that is, the courteous and honourable behaviour of the Duke of Guise, victorious towards the Prince of Conde a prisoner which most men, on one side as well as on the other, did not at all think he would have been disposed to exhibit, for it is well known how hateful, in civil wars, are the chiefs of parties, and what imputations are made upon them. Nevertheless, here quite the contrary happened, for, when the prince was brought before the duke, the latter spoke to him respectfully, and with great gentleness of language, wherein he could not pretend that there was any desire to pique him or blame him and whilst the prince stayed in the camp the duke often dined with him and for as much as on this day of the battle there were but few beds arrived for the baggage had been half plundered and dispersed the duke of guise offered his own bed to the prince of conde which the prince would accept in respect of the half only and so these two great princes who were like mortal foes, found themselves in one bed, one triumphant and the other captive, taking their repast together. End of section 36